All right, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, 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 as I say every time, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, this is another interesting one for me. I have Stephen Holly Martin. Uh, Mr. Martin has written numbers of books, and you actually help other people who are trying to write books. Is that right? I do. I'm a ghostwriter and an editor, and I'm uh, the editor and publisher of a small press. We have 180 books in print. Somebody's wow. interested in looking for a publisher, have them, you know, go to uh, my website or oakleypress.com. Awesome. Awesome. And one of the reasons why I asked you to come on my podcast is you've done significant research and written books on the topic of consciousness, near-death experiences, things of that nature. You currently um, have a book. Well, tell us about your your current book that's that's just been out. Yeah, my current book, uh, the most recent one, is Fast Track to Higher Consciousness, and it kind of lays out really what I've learned about the true nature of reality from uh, almost 50 years of studying this. Uh, I had a out-of-body near-death experience when I was about 25 years old. Up until that point, I was uh, kind of an agnostic or a, a, human, a secular humanist. And didn't didn't believe there was well I thought I was my mind, and that uh, of course changed my mind about that. And I got very curious about you know what what really is going on here, and that's uh, that's what started me off. So I've been at it for a long time. Wow. So tell me when you so you well I want to talk about your out of out of body experience specifically, but when you when you had your out of body experience and you come back and you start searching this. You, you reference in your book Christianity. Would you consider yourself a Christian or did you find kind of some things that you found true in every religion? How did that go about? Well, I consider myself a Christian in the sense that I uh, believe that Jesus Christ was uh, an enlightened being. I don't think he was God incarnate, which I suppose you're supposed to think if you're Christian, but uh, I think everyone, in a way, is God incarnate. We're all part of the the source. We're all probes that have been sent out by the source, mm -hmm. and Jesus was one of them. But he happened to uh, somehow know a whole lot more than the people of his day. And um, but I think that there's truth in all religions. I think that the Eastern religions come closer to the truth in terms of what really is going on. In, that, in other words, they're closer to um, um, uh, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and the idea that everything comes from a unified field, which uh, Max Planck said was consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hindus believe that uh, everything comes from Veda, which is translated in a number of different ways, knowledge, so on and so forth. But if you really boil it down, it's consciousness. Mm. And that uh, we all share one mind, which is mm -hmm. what the Hindus think. And uh, uh, we just happen to think we're separate. Uh, in the Hindu religion, they believe uh, that reality that we experience, they call it maya, which translates as illusion because we think we're separate individuals when in fact we're really all part of one one mind and we think we're separate because we each have got egos that developed over you know from the time we were born till now and continue to to govern us but so to answer your question it's a long answer to 
a short question. Yeah, I go to church with my wife. She's a very strong Christian. I was not brought up uh, in the church. We went every now and then, you know, Christmas, Easter. But I was not a uh, raised that way. And I didn't believe that there were, I didn't know or believe that there was God until uh, I started looking into it after I had that near-death experience. Yeah, so tell me about the near-death experience. What what well, exactly occurred? Yeah, it was really very brief. Uh, I had I was about 25 years old. I was uh, not married yet. I lived with two other bachelors in a, an apartment in an old townhouse in Baltimore. And it was a Saturday night, and I was really very ill with the flu, very sick with the flu. I was upstairs in my bedroom. I was trying to, uh, it was a two-floor apartment. I was trying to uh, read a book, ironically called Metamorphosis, by <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I think that there's a, some, some synchronicity to that because it started my metamorphosis. But anyway, I heard a party, uh, people coming in downstairs and a party started starting up. And that was not unusual in that apartment with two two other guys. And they'd been out bar hopping or whatever and decided to bring people home. And so anyway, I was, you know, sitting up there feeling bad. But I thought, gosh, well, maybe I'll just get up, put some clothes on, go down there and uh, and see if I feel better if I have, you know, if I have a little party going on. So I did. And I went down. and. Of course, it was in the 70s, and there were people were drinking whiskey, and they were drinking beer, and they were passing around these funny cigarettes, and and I had a little of everything. And then I just started, I, you know, could hardly stand up. I just, you know, I was knew I had to get back upstairs and get in bed, or I was going to just pass out there on the floor because I felt so awful. So I kind of knee walked back up the steps, flopped down on my bed, and I uh, I was just, the bed was spinning. I just was feeling awful. I felt like I needed to get up and go throw up, but I didn't think I could do it because uh, it was just, I was so in such bad shape. And and after a bit, I just, it's sort of like I was breathing and I popped. I felt myself pop. And I looked around and there was, my body down in the bed. It took me a while to kind of recognize. I'd never seen it from that angle. You know, we mm. only see ourselves in a mirror usually. Right. But I, it was me. And I, and suddenly my, it was like my head cleared. I didn't feel bad anymore. I felt okay. And uh, I thought, you know, wait a minute. Uh, up until that point, I'd always thought I was my body, but uh, here I am. I'm up here. I'm, I'm here. My body's down there. So I'm not my body. Mm. And th- this didn't last very long. It was not a full-blown uh, NDE, you know, where you go through the tunnel and you go toward the light and you have the past, uh, the life review and, and all that business. I've talked to, I've interviewed a number of people who had that experience. That mm. was not my experience. I think if I had not revived, that I would probably still be haunting that that old house in Baltimore. <laughs> I didn't see any light or tunnel or anything. And I've heard actually uh, that people who are, are are atheists and and die often are the ones that end up haunting places because they don't know to go to the light. But anyway, uh, after bed, I just sort of blacked out, and the ne- I woke up the next morning, and I felt a whole lot better. 
but it opened my eyes and uh, I joined the Rosicrucian Society, which is a society, well, it's called the Rosicrucian Order. It's a group of people, of, you might call them metaphysicians. They study metaphysics, metaphysical laws, the true nature of reality. They believe in reincarnation and all that. And I can tell you that I went, I took all their courses, went from novice to adept, and they do know what's going on. They do know what the true nature of reality is, which uh, in the book you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned, Fast Track to Higher Consciousness, I explain what the true nature of reality is. And um, if you want to talk about that, I'll keep going. Yeah. But no, that's exactly actually where I wanted to go, because you, you mentioned something really interesting. I pulled a few quotes from your book as I was reading it. You mentioned that the Western culture's teaching about the meaning of life either lead to nihilism or going through the motions in the hope of being rewarded with a better existence after death. Maybe you can start, and I use that as a, as a springboard. Yeah, what we're taught, well, the way I see it, there are two prevalent worldviews in the West. By the West, I mean Europe and the United States and Canada and so forth, the, the Western countries. And uh, those are secular humanism, which is the idea that there is no God, that everything is mat uh, material substance, the basic premise of scientific materialism slash uh, secular humanism is that all that exists is matter. Mm -hmm. And we're bo our bodies are like machines uh, with a computer-like brain. And when we die, that's it. It's sort of like you pull the plug on a vacuum cleaner and it's over with. Um, which, as you mentioned, I, th I think leads to nihilism. I mean, what is the point of it all if, that, if we're just just here to, uh, well, the idea is that we're here to have a good time and uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Make right. as much money as you can, have a good time. That's really kind of what comes out of that. But yet right. it's bound to lead to nihilism in that, uh, you know, what's the whole point? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the, <laughs> one of the uh, catchphrases I have in there is, you know, life's a bitch and then you die. Right. The other, the other uh, worldview, which is shrinking, I think, in size, is the one that comes from being raised in the church. And that is that uh, we are basically fallen uh, creatures who, you know, Garden of Eden and all that. And you and uh, Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. Those are the that's the creed to live by. And later on, Jesus came, who was the uh, uh, God incarnate, and told us how to live. Love, love your neighbor, love, uh, love one another, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, and, and love God. And, uh, you know, if you do all that, you, you believe in him, then you're going to go to heaven, That's, which is uh, a whole lot better outcome than the Sure, <laughs> yeah. But it's still not exactly right, according to what I've learned. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two basic worldviews. And the objective of this book that uh, uh, I've got, a, a uh, that's a mm -hmm. little that's bad a because it. it's not for sale because it's a proof. Uh -huh. But uh, Fast Track to Consciousness basically says that... Uh, 
all we are that the ground of being is mine. Max Planck, who the guy who came up with uh, quantum theory, won the Nobel Prize for it in 1918, said that uh, basically said that the ground of being is consciousness, that everything comes from consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I go on to say that, you know, you really don't experience anything except through your consciousness, through your five senses. We, mm -hmm. we don't experience anything directly. And the reason we don't is because really uh, what we're immersed in is the mind of the source that creates this reality around us. There, there are a lot of materialistic type scientists nowadays who think that that we live in a simulation, that uh, mm -hmm. everything is, you know, uh, ones and zeros, and that uh, we are in, in effect avatars in this in this uh, reality. Well, that's really kind of close to the truth, except mm -hmm. that it's not a computer program. It's the mind of God that we're all uh, immersed in. Mm -hmm. and yeah, you, you mentioned, you actually mentioned, I want to, sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to say, you mentioned in your book that we, we kind of view ourselves um, as like, is like separate, right? That, yep. that we're all, you know, but you say, you actually quote a statement from, there was a book, I think it was called Dancing Wu Lee Masters, which suggests that all things in the universe, including us, are all parts of like an organic pattern. Maybe you can kind of explain more about what that means. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. What the Dancing Wu Lee Masters was written by uh, Gary Zukoff, mm -hmm. gosh, more than 40 years ago. But basically what it does is explains quantum physics in, in a way that just normal people like you and me can understand about all the mathematics and so forth. And basically, what quantum physics says is that everything, there is no such thing as matter the way we think of it. There's no mm -hmm. such thing as solid stuff. If you could uh, go in with a microscope and look at anything, keep going, going, and you find out that really all it is is vibrations. It's, you know, like little solar systems and the atoms and, and everything is, there's nothing really solid. and Max Planck, again, the founder of, uh, of quantum theory, said that it, there has to be a, an intelligent mind behind all that creating. Think about, for example, the uh, DNA molecule, which is essential for life. Uh, the DNA molecule, there's one in every cell of your body. And if you were to go in and stretch that thing out, you know, it's the double helix thing. If you were to stretch it out, it'd be six and a half feet long, two meters long. And basically what it is, is computer code. You've, mm -hmm. Everybody's seen the printout of uh, DNA. Mm -hmm. That's how they can tell whether, you know, somebody's related and so on. Uh, it's computer code that tells the cell when and how to make uh, proteins that are needed for life. Well, how to get that to happen by accident? Has mm -hmm. to be a mind behind that. Whenever there's something that's looks like computer code or even uh, a paragraph in a book. So there had to have been some mind behind that that created it. Well, mm -hmm. that's just one example. The universe, all the atoms, all the things, stars and us and everything is all connected because it's all vibrations. There's no place where the vibration stops and another one starts. It's just, it's a pattern like uh, Gary Zukov said. 
that, uh, and we're all part of that pattern. We think we're separate because we have, we feel like we're encased inside a body and that, that our mind is in our head between our ears. But in fact, what the brain is, is a receiver of consciousness that integrates our particular consciousness with our body. Yeah, and, you, you mentioned you mentioned in your book, I, and I didn't know this was true, that there were about 60 years of studies at the University of Virginia talking about how mind that your consciousness is actually separate from your brain. Absolutely. The uh, University of Virginia, uh, a fellow named Ian Stevenson, uh, started studying. Uh, he was a psychiatrist, psychiatrist. He was head of the Department of Psychiatrists, Psychiatry at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. And he was uh, one of his specialties were children. And he uh, started studying children's memories of past lives. In 19, that was in 1962. In 1966, he came out with a book, the title of which was uh, 20 Cases uh, Suggestive of Reincarnation, where he, he uh, put forth uh, 20 cases he'd studied where the child had memories of a previous life and uh, he checked them out and they found somebody who fit that description, had that name, was lived in that town, uh, had the wife, the name, the person said, you know, all the details checked out, that, those 20 cases. Since then, he wrote, he's written a whole shelf full of books. He's, he died in 2007. But in 1967, uh, there, the founder of Xerox, machines, gave a whole bunch of money to the University of Virginia to set up uh, what's now called the Division of Perceptual Studies. And Ian Stevenson headed that up. And since 1967, they have been studying children's memories of past lives, um, near-death experiences, and anything related to consciousness and where it comes from. And they now have over 2,500 cases of children who remember past lives. 1,700 of them at least have been what they call solved in that they found the person the child thought he was. Hmm. And there are things like uh, birthmarks where the, the, on, the, on the child who has the memory that coincide with the wound that actually killed the person in the previous life. For example, there was one one man who was a school teacher, I think he was in India or something. A lot of these cases came from the East where people believe in reincarnation and don't tell their children they're just dreaming when they come up with this stuff. And this particular school teacher was on his way to school and was shot in the head, in the forehead, uh, and died. And the child who was born, who said he was that person, had a, a birthmark on his forehead, round birthmark, and a splattered birthmark in the back of his head where the exit wound would have been. And they actually found the autopsy of the man who was killed that way and verified that those, those uh, the birthmarks and the actual wounds were similar because they'd taken photographs of the uh, man and his wounds after he was dead. Do they, do they have any situations where somebody believes they were a past life, but the person who they thought was a past life is actually still alive, or were they all dead? 
I have not heard anything like that now. Oh, okay, interesting. The uh, but anyway, the the basic uh, conclusions drawn by the Division of Perceptual Studies researchers is that uh, the brain does not create consciousness; it is a receiver of consciousness mm. and an integrator with. Now, obviously, the brain has basically what the brain does is dumb us down to a certain extent. Uh, and uh, it does have an effect on our consciousness. Obviously, you get popped on the head, pass out. You know, you're not going to be conscious for a while. Sure. But, uh, but it's not the creator of consciousness. Hmm. And that's how uh, reincarnation, you know, think about it. Dude. Between lives, there is no body to carry that, that sure. consciousness. I, I think of our individual consciousness kind of as a, a whirlpool of consciousness within the larger uh, mind that it, that it, everything is actually conscious to a certain extent, even even matter that is not uh, doesn't look alive. So a, a question about that. So if we're all if we are all of one mind, like do you believe that there is no real? I mean that the individual individuality we all feel is somehow connected to our bodies and our, and our matter, you know, the matter side of our experience. Like is in, when we pass away, are we, if I pass away, am I no longer going to be Josh Edlow? I'm just going to be like a consciousness. That's a part of this larger consciousness that I'm all connected with all these other people. You, when you pass away, you're going to still be conscious. Uh -huh. You're going to be more conscious than you are now because, and you're going to remember, past lives and so forth. And you may even kind of drift away from this one. It won't be as important to you as, as it is at, while you're in your body. I mean, he, the way I look at it, and this, I'm, this is not just me, but others who studied this, is that we, we have an ego which is built up from birth in this life. And that is, ego's job is to survive. It was, it's something that developed in humans uh, over the evolution to keep us safe. You know, we had to worry about things so that, you know, we weren't eaten by a lion. You know, maybe there's a lion behind that bush or a tiger that's going to jump out and get me. So that function still exists with our egos, which, which by the way, can get us in a lot of trouble. But we also have a, an, an, uncon we have an unconscious mind and a subconscious mind. The unconscious mind is what we is where the ego is housed, where it's all the beliefs and things that we've been taught and have been impressed upon us growing up reside. So it's what when we when we come upon a situation triggers us, you know, that we, you know, we feel insulted or whatever reaction we have. That's coming out of our unconscious mind. Also, things are in there like, you know, how you drive your car, put your foot on the brake. You know, when you're driving down the road. If you know how to drive a car and you've done it, done it for a while, you don't really have to think about it. It's all coming from your subconscious, uh, unconscious mind. Then the subconscious mind, which is deeper, is all of your past lives. And eventually that merges with the, uh, the, the full mind of, of the universal or cosmic mind. Now, places like the, College of Metaphysics in Missouri, where I've been a few times and gone to their seminars and weekends, 
believe that there's something like seven different layers or so of the mind. But basically what I just described is what it boils down to. You've got your conscious mind is what you're experiencing right now. Your unconscious mind is housing all the stuff you learned in this life and how you were conditioned. Your, your, un, your subconscious mind is you, uh, and it's what's connected to your higher self, which resides always on the other side, and which you merge with when you get back eventually. And then that is merged into the larger uh, source or cosmic mind that is really everything. I had a an experience when I was about 35 where I was meditating and I felt that I merged with the uh, with the conscious mind, sort of a mystical experience, and it was mm-hmm. very very powerful. And when I came out of that, I, there was no question in my mind uh, that uh, there's <laughs> that we're not who we think we are. So when you saw that experience, or when you had that experience, tell me what that was like, and what what do you what did you think was different after that? Well, I was it was it happened on a very nice late spring, early summer day here in Virginia. The blue sky, white puffy clouds. I was out of my backyard. I was on a lounge chair, relaxing and just meditating. And suddenly, I I, I opened my eyes and I I could see auras around the trees and the grass and so forth. It was just a very kind of very strange mystical experience. And then it was like I was absorbed into this kind of void. And it was a wonderful feeling. It was, you know, just like, you know, love, unconditional love, that sort of you hear about that, but it really was. And then whenever I, I thought, you know, wow. And I would think about something and and this, all this information would be like downloaded. I didn't, I could, have told you the answers to all the mysteries of the universe. If somebody had asked me the question and I had been able to hear them, it was right. just an incredible, incredible experience. And I don't know how long it lasted. It must've been, uh, it could have been anywhere from a few minutes to half an hour, but it was, I didn't want to leave that feeling. Mm-hmm. It was so wonderful, mm-hmm. but I did come out of it and I brought some things back with me, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I never could access it. I've never accessed it again, but I know it's there. And I think that when we do pass, we'll we'll have a shot at, at that uh, merging with that uh, conscious, well, conscious mind again. So I, I question when I see, when I hear this, like for example, you know, one thing that I've noticed, I've, I've interviewed quite a people with ND who've done either researched or or had an ND. And one of the things that I find really interesting is the connection with family. Like people talk about, you know, the, you, you mentioned the life review and things of that nature. One of the things that's a, it seems to be a key component is either when they are about to pass or right as they're passing, there's the appearance of loved ones who come to kind of usher them through. Tell me in your research, have you seen anything that kind of um, connects that? to this idea of consciousness and, and not being separate? Yes, uh, I have. Let me just say one thing that I meant to say earlier. When you were talking about, uh, you know, we're all, we're, we each have this I am feeling. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I am me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is, everybody has that. And it's really the source. Mm. It's not, it's you are the source. 
the conscious, and we all have the, share the same consciousness and share the same I am feeling. Now, to answer your question about family, uh, it's it seems to me, and what I've learned and read and talking with people and who are really more knowledgeable than I am, that we tend to have uh, a we're we're from a soul group. We each have a soul group, a group of, of uh, people that we're kind of connected to. And we incarnate together often, maybe not all of us every time, but maybe a few of us. And we, we come here to kind of help each other, teach each other lessons. Because I really think that what life is about is evolution, evolution of the soul, evolution of consciousness. And the earth is kind of like a school where we have problems thrown at us and, and the problems uh, that, to deal with and overcome. And if we meet them the right way, we, we grow as a result. And anybody who's been through a hard time will probably tell you if they came through it all right, that they uh, are a better person because of it. And they evolved because of it. Maybe they won't use those words, but that's what they mean. Well, uh, your mother might have been your sister in a previous life, or your father could have been your brother, or your, you know, there are different, different arrangements each time, but there are a group of people that you likely uh, incarnate with and uh, come to know. Uh, I certainly think that's true. Do you do you also like, for example, sometimes people believe like have you ever met somebody and felt in some way that you were connected to them? Like, you know, there's some people who just immediately come into your life and they immediately become important. Do, do you do you have any is anybody any of your research describe that? Is that kind of in the same thing? Like there's a belief. Yeah, it is. It's, it's what you're doing is it's probably somebody you were, you know, Speculation with a lot of people, and I, and I think this is so. You you kind of plan your life out before you're born. You don't remember it because we all go through this veil of forgetting when we come into this reality. And there's a reason for that. If we had all the answers to the questions and knew what we we're here to do, and you know, it would be like uh, taking a test uh, by you know copying off a cheat sheet. You wouldn't really right. learn anything that way. But uh, yeah, there there are people that are probably lined up for you to meet, and we do have free will, so we don't have to uh, make them our good friend or our wife or our or our uh, partner in business or whatever it might be. But that that connection from the other side is there. That they may be they're likely one of our one of our group uh, soulmates. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I've had deja vu kind of experiences that are like that. Or you know, one of, I think I was a pilot in World War II, and I, the reason I do is because I was flying in a small plane with this old guy who wanted me to take the controls because he just thought I could do it. And I, I took the controls of the plane. I thought, oh, wow, I, I know how to do this. And it's sort of like the memory of that previous life came back. So, uh, yeah, deja vu and uh, 
uh, sudden uh, strange affinity for someone. You can also run into people that you dislike immediately, and that could be mm. uh, from a previous life too. That's so interesting. So, but but with all this, you you know, we've talked about this. And by the way, it's funny because a large contingent. I'm I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints Mormons, and we've got uh, I've got a, a large contingent of my listeners. And a lot of the stuff that you're talking about right now is very much going to resonate with them. The veil of forgetfulness, family connections, things of that nature. But and this idea of progression is one that that comes out quite a bit within the Mormon faith. The idea that you're you're growing and you're learning, and it, that this is an eternal progression that you're going through. But in your research, have you figured out what we're growing into? Well, uh, I think that we are growing toward reunification with the source. Okay. That, that eventually when we, <laughs> it's going to take a long, long time, mm -hmm. but eventually when we uh, reach a certain level, uh, that's the final step. That, but not that we'll lose our individual consciousness, we will merge. It'll be sort of like that experience I had, I guess, in my backyard, you know, where we, we merge with the, with the creator, with the source, with the cosmic mind. And maybe we become a new universe. I don't know, but something like that. I, uh, there are theories that we we really go through this thing, not just the whole rigmarole from, you know, ape man to uh, enlightened being, not just once, but over and over again. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm not sure about that, but it makes sense to me that, we're on some sort of a path toward either becoming uh, universes ourselves or becoming merging back with the source itself. So when you refer to the source, is that kind of similar to what, what religions would call God? And if so, what do you think, based on your research, that source looks like? Yeah, the uh, the thing you know, I mentioned earlier that I thought that Jesus was enlightened and knew what he was talking about, that but that he was uh, misunderstood because people in the West, uh, the Greek world back in his day, believed that. Well, for one thing, they back then they didn't believe there was just one God. Uh, the Jews had Yahweh. The Canaanites had all, you know, the Jews always said ours is the really the best one, the good, the good one. But they didn't deny that there were other ones. So the idea in the West, particularly the Greek uh, beliefs of a pantheon of gods, has God as a being who's outside of his creation. Whereas in the East, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Taoists believe that there's what they call it Brahman or Atman. Atman, I guess, is the soul. Brahman is the uh, life force, which you could call God. And I see God or the source more as the life force. It's an intelligent field, but it's not outside creation. It is creation. Mm -hmm. It creates creation. We're mm -hmm. part of it. We're, mm -hmm. we're probes that come from it. 
and return to it. Mm. So that I don't. That's why I don't call it God because when I say the word God, to me, it means a lot of people think of uh, that picture on the Sistine Chapel, uh, Sistine Chapel ceiling, you know, with God and his finger touching the man, you know, that he's mm. a man with a long white beard, and that's not what God is. I don't think. Mm. What do you think? Well, it's interesting because my my Mormon faith, you know, that this is interesting because for my member, for people who aren't members of my faith, it might sound interesting. Is we believe that God is an actual, uh, you know, uh, eternal, immortal uh, man, essentially, and that you know he he uh, you know that God created us in His image, both spiritually and physically. And we actually are very different in other Christians in that other Christians, you know, they believe in the Trinity, that Jesus was actually God incarnate. We believe we don't we believe that they were separate personages, but that they are one in purpose. So when the when the, the scriptures are referring to them being one, that's what they mean. Same with the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. They're all separate personages that work together to bring a to pass our uh, eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, but the thing is, is I am open to the idea that, you know, the idea that it might be different than that. It's interesting because I think I tell all my friends because I have a lot of discussion with a lot of my friends who some of them are very like just hardcore. No, no, no. The the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's church on the earth. And then I have a lot of nuanced friends and I have some that were and are no longer. Right. And I've had conversations with all of them. And I think that I tell them all the same thing. And I say, I think that we all, when we get there, are going to be surprised how little we really know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and it's interesting to talk to people who've had ND, NDEs or have had out-of-body experiences and hear the research and seeing the similarities. And I found one of the things really interesting that I think it was, um, it might have been Robert Ginsburg. It might have been Jacob uh, Jacob Cooper. I can't remember which one it was who told me this, but they said it's interesting because everybody describes this being that they go to like the God that they believe in, because there's really not words in the language to describe what you're seeing. So they see, if you're a Christian, you see Jesus. If you're a Muslim, you see Allah, right? Like, because not necessarily because it is what you're seeing, but because you don't have the language to describe it. Does that make sense? Uh, that makes sense. I would also I would add to that that your that your mind creates what you believe, and that's true here in this reality. I mean, you we are who we are and where we are, and our you know our life is based on our uh, has come about because of our beliefs. Right. And it, here it takes a while for that to happen. But eventually, you know, if I think I'm uh, a big shot and I should have a lot of money and I could boss people around, that's who I'm going to be. And I'll probably end up having all that. If I think I'm a victim, I'm going to be a victim. People are going to, you know, it's going to happen because that's what I believe is supposed to happen. You know, that's something I actually, that feeds into something I found really interesting in reading your book. You talk about some experiments, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like guns firing protons that proved that observation actually turns 
waves into particles. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yes, there's a, uh, a classic uh, quantum physics experiment, quantum mechanics, that is called the double slit experiment. Uh, double slit experiment. And uh, this is an experiment that was first concocted back in the early uh, 19th century, 1803, I think, where I've forgotten the scientist's name, shone a light through two slits that were the razor thin and projected them like on a wall. And what happens when you, when you uh, project a light through two slits uh, onto the wall, it forms a wave pattern where the, the crests are bright, uh, where they meet are brighter and where the troughs meet are, it's darker. So it looks like a, a wave, you know, light, dark, light, dark, light and dark, alternating. Now, in modern physics, uh, they are able to shoot one photon, which is a, a particle of light, through those slits one at a time. Mm. And if they shoot the photons through the slits one at a time and don't measure which slit a photon went through, even though they were shot one at a time over a period of time, it makes the wave pattern on the screen. Hmm. If this, the researcher turns on a recorder so that he knows which uh, photon went through which slit and when, it then changes everything and what you have on the wall are all the little specks that hit. Hmm. So it's his consciousness, it's his knowing that changes the waves into particles. You know, and I want to I want to ask you, what does that have to do? Like we hear a lot, a big buzzword right now is mindset, right? Like, and you kind of alluded a little bit to this, right? Is that like if you think you're going to be rich and you're going to be bossing people around, somehow that it seems to happen. And if you think you're going to be a victim, you're going to be a victim. And it's kind of one of these things of whether you think you can, whether you think you can't, you're right. Do you think that what you're what this is showing is that there is actually a level of consciousness that dictates what happens? And is that faith? Well, it is faith in the sense that uh, it's what you believe is what happens. And I think there's two things going on. First, let me finish with the uh, um, the fact that the researcher's mind, his knowledge, his, his awareness, his consciousness changes the wave into a particle. That can't happen if his brain is what makes him conscious because mm -hmm. that would be still would stay inside his head inside his skull there's no way sure. to come out and affect light going through two slits that's interesting now, let's move on to the if you think you're a victim you're going to be a victim there's i think there's two things going on i think that the individual who believes they're a victim is going to see and react to situations that bring that around. The other thing is his mind 
is not inside his skull. It's connected to the larger mind, which in turn brings him what he expects. Mm, interesting. How does that work? So that's so interesting. Like, how would that work? How would it? So you're saying, like, if you have a mindset, it almost manifests these things around you to actually happen. Because it's funny, like you, you you hear about this, right? And it seems to be like people who are successful in one area tend to constantly be successful, but they also very much believe that they can be. And yet, there are people out there who are victims who they just seem to continually, you know, it's like the same person who runs into, they get into bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. It's oh, like absolutely. they're manifesting it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's so. the person who gets in bad relationships attracts that sort of person to them because they have a low opinion of themselves. Mm -hmm. But let me say this. There's only one mind. Mm -hmm. We think we're separate. Mm -hmm. but we're not. I explained where we have, you know, the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, but it all melds into the big mind that is everybody's mind. And so we're thinking stuff into that that's going to come back to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so is there a way, I guess, um, well, I guess I think I know the answer to this, but I mean, can you change your consciousness? To I react think, in I think you can. And in fact, one of my, I don't know, not if this book has it in there, but um, I think that you you need to, to, in order to change your consciousness, you have to first realize that you're not your ego. Mm -hmm. Your ego is a construction that was built up since birth. Mm -hmm. You don't have to listen to your ego. You don't have to do what your ego says. A lot of people think they are their ego and that their thoughts are them and th their thoughts are not them. You are the, what I call silent observer, the back of your mind that has the ability to step outside yourself and maybe sit above your shoulder and watch yourself so that when something happens, for example, when something happens that triggers you, there's a moment between the time that whatever happened happens and when you're triggered. And in that moment, you can decide not to react. Mm. And you can ask yourself, why is whatever it is triggering me? Mm. What is it that I was taught as a child or learned in school that's, that's causing me to react that way? Mm. And if you do that enough, you can retrain your mind to, uh, to not listen to your ego, which is your ego is what's creating your life now. Mm -hmm. If you are so absorbed in your ego that you think you are your ego. Sure. And that's the, the ego is the victim or the boss or mm -hmm. whatever in between. Uh, the other thing that I, and people can go to my, well, I have a page on my website. It's not, uh, it's not on the menu. You'd have to find it. Uh, but I can give it to you. Uh, I could email it to you. Maybe you can put it in the write-up under the show. Yeah. Where they, there's a page on my website where I have two meditations mm -hmm. that are sort of self-hypnotic uh, meditations that I have that I've used for myself. I used started using them 30 years ago. I don't use them anymore because I don't need to. But 
that are designed to uh, to break you away from your fears. There are all kinds of fears that cause us problems. Fear of death, fear of old age, fear of uh, poverty, fear of uh, jealousy, of, of loss of love, fear of, um, I don't know, I think there's something like seven. I'm going to remember them all right off the top of my head. But uh, this meditation is designed to eliminate those fears. And uh, it worked for me. I actually listened to a tape back, it must have been 30 years ago, that changed me. And I, what the meditation I have on my website is adapted from that one that I did 30 years ago. So, you know, it's something you listen to every night before you go to bed or while you're in bed, maybe drift off to sleep, that's fine. But eventually, really, it'll change, it'll change you for the better. Wow. Now, with all of this, tell me, with all this knowledge that you've learned uh, since you were 25, how do you think that this has changed you as a person? Well, uh, before I was the typical person who uh, thought that, you know, what life was about was to have a good time, make as much money as possible and eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow you die. I don't think that anymore. I've done well in business. I had my own advertising agency. I uh, um, made a lot of money selling it. Uh, but I don't really care about money anymore. <laughs> and uh, what, what I want to do is get the word out about what I've learned because I think it can make so much difference in our world. If we, if everybody knew that they're eternal beings who are having a temporary physical experience, that we're all one, that when we, as Jesus said, whatever you do to one of these, my uh, brothers or sisters, you do to me, we're all one. When we hurt others, we, en we end up hurting ourselves. You know, if we just did that, if we, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, if we did those things, just think how much there would be no wars. There would be the world would be like uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is what he was. He was obviously trying to create and failed. But uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to get the word out about what I know. with books like Fast Track to Higher Consciousness, for example. Because when you've read that and if you believe it, it's going to change you and it'll change you for the better. Mm -hmm. I think we should each try to figure out what our particular gifts are, that what we can do that probably better than anybody else and use those in service to others. And if everybody did that, it would be a wonderful world. And that's an interesting point. I wanted to add, that's something maybe I ought to ask you is that, you know, in the Christian faith, we talk about gifts of the spirit. Some people have these talents and those talents, those gifts, uh, and everybody's different. Uh, if we're all part of one consciousness, why do each of us have, what is it that creates us all having these different, very distinct talents and individual personalities? Is that is that the ego and the body that we have here and maybe the way it's filtered through in our environment or something else? No, that's, it's, uh, it's true that we each have, uh, I don't think they're gifts. 
Okay. I think they're things that we learned over many lifetimes hmm. uh, that we have become who we are based on our particular evolution through many lifetimes. For example, I went to a uh, weekend at the School of Metaphysics more than 20 years ago that was, you were supposed to learn your Dharma from going to that weekend seminar thing. And my Dharma, according to them, and according, and I believe it's absolutely true, they called omniperception, which is that I'm able to, um, it's really heightened intuition. I'm able to see a small part of something and, and figure out the bigger picture from it. And that's why I write all these books. Uh, and But other people have other gifts that are really learned over many incarnations. It could be uh, that they're very good at discernment, that they're very good at helping other people, uh, encouraging them. So they may become a coach or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You know, those there are there are probably hundreds of different specialties that that have people have developed uh, over over many lifetimes. That's why I say there we call them gifts, but we probably earned them somehow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And you think that that's funny, you know, because I joke. I have four kids. And I joke because it's like some of the things that I see them do, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. And then there's some things I say, I have no idea where that came from. You know what I mean? Like in, in this past life idea or this idea of an eternal conscious being, it kind of lends to this idea that like they are their own individuals that have been going through experiences even before that I even knew who they were, you know, because there's just sometimes I'm like, I don't know where it where they got this talent. I have a daughter right now who's just hugely into theater. And she just, she, she just, does, she's, you know, if, if you were to get her into a room, she's a little nervous, like talking to new people, but you get her on a stage and you can't shut her up. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, and yeah, and she just loves it. She just loves it and identifies with it. And all her little theater friends that are all just so strange, like she just identifies with all of them and just loves them. And I have no idea where it came from. And it's just so interesting. Maybe she had a past life in the Shakespeare or something. I don't know. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Well, it's the same here. I mean, I have four kids too, and they're all different. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> they're each their. They're, they're themselves. You know, they're. It's buried in their uh, subconscious mind. Yeah. It's yeah. All that. All of it's there. And some, you know, people go through, you probably interviewed regression therapists who can mm -hmm. take people back to previous lives and have them remember. I've remember, uh, done some of that and have remembered a couple of past lives. Mm. So, and, you know, the, that was one of the things about that weekend at these College of Metaphysics. Uh, they told me about how I got this ability you know through a number of past lives uh, mm. they said that one life i spent almost the whole time uh, in the crow's nest of a ship looking over the horizon to see when where the enemy was coming or something like that so you know things like that it's interesting amazing. 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you said you'd give me an hour and I appreciate your time. I, I want to uh, ask you three questions I ask everybody at the end. The first one is, is what would you say is your biggest success in life? Oh, the biggest success in life, I would say, is um, a couple of books that I've written that have been very uh, well received and hopefully, and I think it probably helped a lot of people. Uh, one that's off and on a bestseller in its category and came out last July, I believe, is called Death is Fiction, Fear and Illusion. Uh, I And then there was one I wrote in, in uh, 2017, uh, Afterlife, The Whole Truth. That's been a very popular book, and I think it's helped a lot of people. So I would say that's those books. Been, yeah. What would you say is your biggest failure in life, and what did you learn from it? Biggest failure in life was um, not cutting back quickly enough in the 2008 recession and lost a ton of money. <laughs> I, I feel you there. You know, it's funny. I share, I share a story. I, I, uh, I bought a house in August of 2005, which historically was literally the worst month in history to ever buy a house in California. And, uh, and yeah, in 2008, in October of 2008, I, uh, I sold that house at a, massive loss. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel you. <laughs> That's funny. So, so we, we, but you know, what's funny. I, 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 we talk about what we learned from that and I've shared this story before that I'm actually grateful. I've, I went through that because now it, I was, I mean, I was in the middle of trying to get through, you know, I was in the middle of college. I had made some money. I bought a house thinking I was going to use it as an investment when I was going to go to law school to sell it. And because here in California, I don't know what it was like in Virginia, but in 2005, you bought a house, you hear stories of people selling it for a hundred grand more six months later, you know? And so I thought that was going to be me. I was going to hang on to it for a couple of years till I don't have to pay capital gains, sell it. And then I was going to use that to pay for law school. And that did not work out. And, uh, and the interesting thing about that was, is boy, then when, when time came for me to buy another house, I was so careful. There were no, there were no variable rates. I was not interested in an arm. I wanted a fixed 30 year, something I could afford. I didn't want to be mortgage poor. And now I have, I I live in a great neighborhood, great house. And, and it, it, it fully informed all of my financial decisions afterwards about debt and things of that nature. To where now financially I've done very very well. Luckily that that came at a time in my life when I was very young and still had time to recover. Right, right. Yeah. So now last question uh, for you. Uh, you we've talked a lot about the hereafter and afterlife and meaning of life. One day you're going to pass away and there's going to be a funeral and someone's going to give you a eulogy. What do you hope the one thing is that somebody uh, would say about you in your eulogy? Oh, gosh. Well, I guess that uh, he wasn't afraid to say what he believed. It's funny. There's a lot of people who are afraid to do that. Yeah. yeah. They want to conform. They want, They want. you know, they don't want people to think ill of them. And I'm sure there are people going to think I'm a nut just from this podcast. So, <laughs> well, you know, I really don't care. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I've had some, I've had some nuts on this podcast and I would say you're not even bottom 50%. So that's okay. 
<laughs> no, I, I appreciate you coming on. This has been an interesting discussion. It's interesting because what one of the things I, I loved about your work and why I wanted to have you on is this, this you have seemed to kind of find a way to kind of meld the meta, you know, the idea of quantum mechanics with religion in a way that kind of makes sense. And so I appreciate that you people like you are doing this work because it's way above my pay grade. So, um, so if people want to get a hold, get a hold of you, find you, where do they find you? Well, my website, uh, S H Martin, dot com, And you can contact me through my, uh, contact form on the website. I, I get, do get, uh, I do answer everyone who, you know, sends me an email that way. And I've even formed some friendships that way. I've got a friend that I keep up with in France who read one of my books and, and sent me an email through my website. And we correspond regularly. Awesome. So, yeah. And it also lists all my books under the, uh, uh, you can see, look on the menu there and uh, see the books I've written and click on a title on a cover page uh, illustration and you'll, It'll take you to the page on Amazon where you can find out more about it. So shmartin.com. Awesome. Well, uh, Mr. Martin, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Next time you, uh, you write a book, because I guess I'm guessing you're not finished. Uh, if you, if you write another one, uh, let me know, we'll have you back on so you can promote it and we'll have more discussions about it. I really appreciate it. I will do it. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. All right.